Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our deeper. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. I want to talk to you about one of my most important relationships. It's not as important of a relationship as mine with my wife or children, but it does take precedent over some of my friends. It's one of the oldest relationships in my life, and I'm glad to report it is a very happy relationship. I'm talking about my relationship with food. And it's a great relationship. I love food. And I like to think the food loves me. There's a lot I can say about this relationship because it's one I come by naturally. My family loves food. I would not call us foodies by any means. We are not pretentious when it comes to the things that we eat. I will eat a Costco pizza or Ruth Chris's steak so long as it tastes good. We love good tasting food in my family. We prioritize it. In fact, growing up, we would schedule our family vacations around where we're going to eat. Not what we're going to do. If we were in Atlanta, that day that we were in the north side of town would be scheduled around when we're going to McKendrick's that night. If we're in Midtown, it's what time do we plan to go to Preshi's? We'd plan the day around that. And this fixation with food has stuck with me throughout my life. It might be the only thing that our bishop knows about me. I lived in Montgomery when Bishop Graves was first appointed to our annual conference. He, he joined a group of friends and, and me for lunch one day, and I shared with him while he was there a list of my favorite restaurants in Montgomery. It was an extensive list. And every time he saw me from then on, he would tell me that he and his staff had referred to that list when they were going out for meals. And in fact, eight years later, he still tells me about that. And he asked me, do I have one for Mobile? Of course, I do. Because I love going to good restaurants. We've got a lot of them. You know, the truth is, though, we preachers who like our appointments in the United Methodist Church uh, we try to keep our heads down and stay out of the bishop's line of sight so that we won't come up on the move list or be asked to do anything extra. So if all the bishop knows about me is that I like good food, I'm okay with that. Because it's a good relationship, me and food. I think it's safe to say that I think about food about as much as I think about just about anything else in life. And it happens to be that that is our last F in this sermon series. We've been in this sermon series where we talk about the worry box and how there are things in our lives that we worry about. And Jesus mentions five of those things that we should stop worrying about. The first is fi fashion. And then we talk about finances, future, family. And today, Jesus tells us not to worry about food. And perhaps this is one of the hardest ones for you to relate to. Uh, maybe you've worried about what to wear or if you'll have enough money. Maybe you worry about your future. And I bet we've all worried about our family. But how many of us today are worried about food? Our relationship to food puts us in a very different place than the people who first heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. Because most of us have had a pretty steady and consistent relationship with food that humanity has not experienced before. 
You see, the people on Earth experienced a radical change in the relationship to food just recently. For some of our oldest members, this took place during your lifetime. 150 years ago, 50% of all Americans made their living through farming. Now, only 2% of people made their living from farming. And yet, we have more food available than at any other time in human history. And as it usually happens, the more there is, the cheaper it gets. Even after a couple years of inflation, the typical American family spends about 13% of their monthly budget on food, compared to 40% in 1900. That's almost just twice as much as they spent on rent or mortgages. Now, that doesn't mean the worries about food are entirely gone. Please don't hear me say that everybody doesn't worry about food. Our church has recognized that this is still a need, and it's one that we try to offer two ministries to help. There are over 100 volunteers, many in this room, that serve every week in Meals on Wheels and take food to people's homes. Likewise, when someone comes to meet with our Society of St. Stephen's volunteers, they are offered a bag of a variety of foods to take to their homes or wherever they are going based on their means to prepare it. If somebody comes to our church off the street any day of the week, they will always be offered food if they need it. We believe that God has given enough to this church for us to share. And we have more than enough when it comes to if anybody shows up at Dauphin Way United Methodist Church looking for something to eat, they will be fed. And that is true of anybody here this morning, too. If food is something you worry about, let us know. Let us help provide your daily bread. But there is no denying that we live in a world that is different than the one that Jesus addressed. We live in a world where the worries we share about food often are more about what we will eat rather than whether we will eat. We have more conversations about nutrition and moderation than we have had in centuries before. And we have a lot fewer conversations about famine and starvation. So it would be easy to pass over this text quickly because of our own experiences to say, you know what, of a list of five worries, I've already checked that one off the box. I'm good. I can move on. But if we do that, we run the risk of missing something very important. And as we come to the end of this sermon series about worry and about the worry boxes we all carry around, I want to say something a little challenging. I want to suggest that maybe our lives have actually gotten a little better. A little better when it comes to worrying about food. If you agree with me that things are a little bit better, not fixed, not gone entirely, we know that there are still work to be done in the world but maybe at least a little better than they used to be when it comes to our worries about food, then I think there might be a lesson in here for us about God's answers to all of our worries. As I said, we carry around these boxes with these anxieties and these threats, and it's never really empty. Every time we get rid of one, a new one comes in, and our worry box always like feel, feels like it's filled to overflowing. But a few weeks ago, we said the only thing that will help us release the worries inside of that box is to let God fill the box with something else. And today, I would like to suggest we are able to worry a little less 
when we let God replace that worry with trust. If you think about it, trust is baked in to almost everything you eat. If you go to a restaurant, you trust them that they're not serving you old meat. If you go to the grocery store, you trust that there will be things on the shelves and they will not be expired. Trust is an essential part of the agricultural aspects of our economy. We do not live in a world with more food abundance than we've ever known because everybody has taken control of their lives and feeding themselves from their gardens. There's no shade on gardening, by the way. I know we got some great green thumbs in here. I myself have tried to garden. It was very unsuccessful. Which is why I know that if I were depending on my own abilities to grow food for myself, I would probably worry about it a lot more. But instead, I trust others. And I think about how different that is from how we typically deal with worry. You see, in our day-to-day, in our worldly thinking, in our own flesh, we believe that the opposite of worry is control. We think to ourselves, if I can control something, then I won't have to worry about it. But in God's provision, the opposite of worry is not control. The opposite of worry is trust. The antidote to worry is trust. The thing that fills that spot in your worry box so that worry can't get back in is trust. I don't worry less about food because I control it more, but because there is an inherent trust in this agricultural economy that we all are a part of. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry what you will eat or drink. Is not life more than food? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is asking us to take a risk. He's asking us to let go of our worries, to release control, and to instead replace it. To let go of worry and replace it with trust. And of course, we Christians have another word for this. We have another word for trust. It's a word that I've held off from using up until this point because it's been so misused and so loaded with baggage that it would be easy for you to mishear me if I started with it instead. The other word we use for trust is faith. It turns out trust is a much better way to discuss our faith than the word belief. But we often unconsciously replace the word faith with belief in our own minds. When other people talk about faith, what they tend to mean is intellectual assent. When somebody invites you to have faith, what they often mean is agree with the sentences I'm about to say. And rational assent is not a bad thing. Believing things is not a bad thing. I love having conversations about the things that we believe. It's just not the same as faith. Notice what Jesus does not say about the lilies of the field or the birds of the air. He did not say, they know their catechism by heart. 
and their systematic theology has no contradictions. No, Jesus did not say that we should prize the birds for their intellect or their convictions. He said, when we look at them, we'll see faith is something more, something different than intellectual. Faith is hoping for that which cannot be fully known. If you can fully understand something, you can believe it. But if you have faith, you trust it, even when you can't explain it. Faith is entirely different from our own will. But too often, we talk about faith as if it's this kind of achievement. This, this thing that you can get more of if you work harder or stronger. It's something we can claim with defiance that we can scream about loudly or aggressively. But when we do that, we come dangerously close to confusing faith with our own will and our own power. The lilies are not beautiful because they strain and strive, because they control things or give them a pep talk, give themselves a pep talk every morning. The lilies never studied the seven habits of highly effective flowers. The sparrow's song does not render doctrine into perfect verses. They are not made glorious in God's eyes by their knowledge. They are glorious because God loves them. Their life is their testimony. Faith is trust, and trust is faith. Faith is, faith is the trust that God desires your good, that God values you far more than any flower. And so you have all the reason in the world to live your life in that kind of trust. But it is a risk. It can seem risky to trust in something you can't control. And it seems so counterintuitive for most of the ways that we live our lives. Because if you do, if you trust in things outside of yourself, like other people, somebody might abuse your good faith. Somebody might betray it. Sometimes your faith, your faith might be misplaced. Trusting God means trusting that forgiveness and healing and justice will have the last word even when we've been wronged. The point of faith is not that nothing bad will happen. The point of faith is that it opens the floodgates to more good than we could ever imagine. You know, I cannot explain to you all the things that happened along the way for a head of, lettuce, a head of lettuce to be planted as a seed, somewhere to be grown, harvested, packaged, shipped, cut up, and tossed into a salad at a restaurant. There's a lot of things in that process that I just, that are outside my control. All I can tell you is that last week at youth group, our kids had a salad from Olive Garden. And you can debate about whether that's real Italian food or not. But I can tell you it's a meal that would have been the best thing people had ever eaten in a different era. I'm telling you that wars have been fought over lesser brands of oil and spices, and we feed it to our teenagers. Trust brings out goodness. Trust brings out more than any of us could imagine or know. That kind of meal 
being prepared so quickly and being the, had by children would have been unimaginable even over a hundred years ago. Look what trust has brought out in the world. And so here we are at the end of our worry box. Five weeks where we've been thinking about all the things that we substitute for trust. Instead, we hold on to the control of our finances, of our fashion, of our future. We hold on to the control of our family, even to the ways in which cause detriment that we don't intend to. And here we are also on World Communion Sunday. We come to this table, and what do we do? We give thanks for a holy mystery. Every time we come to this table, we are affirming that we believe in something we cannot explain. That something is happening up there and in us and around this place that is greater than our comprehension. The mystery of faith is that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. And so in this mystery, in this trust, we are bound. We are brought together, not only to God and not only to each other in this room, but also to more brothers and sisters that we will never meet. Lord knows we can't control who's going to come to this table today all around the world. And we can't even know if we agree with them or if we disagree with them. We might not even be able to articulate why we believe they are our sisters and brothers. But we trust that it is so. And that God can hold us all together when we come to this table in faith with trust. And so all around the world today, there is enough bread on enough tables to help us trust God a little more. And in so doing, learn to trust one another too. There's enough grace on the table to help us trust that we truly share one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And if you can trust that, if you can live your life with that kind of faith while the world is telling you to just worry about your plate, worry about your bread, worry about your seat at the table. If you can come to this table and trust that God is giving all of us more than enough, then you might find that soon your heart is not a, a gushing fire hose of worries anymore. But it is a steady stream of faith. Jesus does something very simple in the scriptures we've read these past few weeks. Very simple, but not easy. He says, you cannot by your own anxious efforts add anything fundamental to who you are. You, who can add an hour to their life by worrying? But if you can learn to trust in him, then he will make it so there is no room in your box for any more worries. And when that kind of faith fills the whole world, Worry will have nowhere left to hide. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.